Let's turn to Numbers chapter 21. There's an outline uh, in the review on the back of it to follow along, or you can go to YouVersion, and I'm excited to share with you the scripture today. The title of my message is Spiritual Impatience. Road trip time. How many love a road trip? All right, road trips are great. It doesn't matter whether it's with your family or with a group here at the church, like the one that's leaving that Matt mentioned in his prayer to Appalachia, or whether it's a school group. You know, there is such a positive energy when you start a trip. I'm part of these trips frequently, uh, either helping launch them or participate in them. And the beginning, there is so much energy. I mean, people are pairing up and getting in groups, uh, taking pictures together. There's an excitement about the journey that's about to start. And all of that lasts for about three days. There is something about day four. Day four is when you cross over, and that which was exciting, that which was a novelty, that which was unique, the adventure, all of a sudden becomes mundane. It becomes ordinary. So I've identified day four, but think about God's chosen people when they were in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan, and they were there for 40 years. 40 years they were in the wilderness. They were in the desert. They were in the place of transition. And then even when they crossed over into the Jordan, even when they crossed over there, there were still challenges ahead. So I want us to look at a passage today. And we know this, that Peter, Paul, Jesus all referred to the Old Testament stories as metaphors for our life. So we find out a lot about God and a lot about ourselves as human beings, and then even more about Jesus from looking at the Old Testament. And here's a question that I want you to ask yourself right now, and I want you to reflect on this. What are you impatient about right now? What are you impatient about? There is most likely something in your life that you want to see occur yesterday. You want to see occur now. Could it be that God has you in transition, in the desert, in the wilderness? And that's not necessarily a bad place for you right now. It may not be pleasant or preferable or what you imagined. But we can trust that when God is with us, it doesn't matter what the challenge is or what location we're at. When God is with us, something good is occurring in our life. Here's the scripture. Numbers chapter 21, let's start with verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. Now here's the key phrase. Look at this. But the people became impatient because of the journey. This is where we learn a lot about ourselves as individuals and then us when we're with a group of people. The people became impatient because of the journey. In verse 5, the people spoke against God and Moses. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Observations from this, and we're looking at spiritual impatience. Impatience leads to grumbling. Impatience leads to grumbling, or we could use the term complaining. Impatience causes us to complain. Often impatience manifests in our mouth, by the things that we say. 
we begin, we begin to talk negatively about the things that God has given us, about what God has provided for us. And we begin to complain and then we begin to even grumble. Now, what do I mean by grumble? Grumble is this, this type of complaint, this discontentment in our soul that kind of oozes out of us. I did some research on this, and I don't want to impress you too much. It was dictionary.com. Uh, and here it was. It, it, it referred to this, this kind of groaning, this rumble that comes out of us from discontent. This is an easy place to get because our patience drifts very easily. You're going to see from the passage today that the people were impatient with the work of God and they began to complain about something that really didn't have merit. They, they began to say, we don't have bread. We don't have water. Well, the truth is this, and if you know the story, and you can go back and review it later, God had provided something called manna for them. Every day, bread would appear from them, for them, angelic bread. And at first, this was exciting. At first, this was enjoyable. It was miraculous. It was unbelievable. But as time went on, God's people began to complain about God's provision. You know, it's often that we don't realize we grumble and we complain about the very thing that God has provided for us. When we get too familiar with God's provision, then we begin to, we begin to grumble about the very provision that was supposed to be a blessing, we begin to curse it and call it no good in our life. So let me ask you this. What are you complaining about? What are you grumbling about? Can I tell you, there are appropriate times to complain. I mean, we can complain about injustice. We can complain about oppression of the weak. We can complain about Systems of evil that are perpetuating darkness. We could complain about those things that destroy life, those things that damage, those things that are hurt. I mean, it's okay to complain about that because we're pointing out that this is destructive behavior. But I'm talking about when we begin to grumble about petty things. We, get, we begin to complain about the minor things. A lot of it is opinion. A lot of it is just our preference. A lot of it is personality conflict. When, when those kind of minor, petulant things begin to consume us and we begin to complain about that, then it could be a symptom of a, of a sense of um, impatience in our life that we're, because we're impatient, because we're not letting God fully do his work, we are speaking against that which he provided for us. You know, being with our family takes a lot of patience because we know, or we get to know our family when those individuals have their guards down and they're exactly who they are without any kind of social barrier. Because of that, sometimes we need lots of patience with our family. We need lots of patience with our church because we are a flawed church, or if you're visiting from another church, every church has problems. Every church has issues to deal with because every church is full of people, and they're full of leaders who are just people 
who make mistakes and we make mistakes. And we need lots of grace and patience for each other. We need patience with our friends. Do you know that God has blessed me? I'm using this as an illustrative point, not to brag or anything. I have lots and lots of friends. All through my 20s, I just was like constantly renting tuxedos to be in weddings all the time. And, and I've just been blessed with a lot of friends. Do you know that every single friend I've ever had has disappointed me? I've never had a friend not disappoint me. And to me, that's part of what a definition of a friend is, is they disappoint you and then you move on and you rebuild that friendship. A lot of us, we don't have a lot of friends in our life because we keep writing people off. We keep eliminating people from our life because guess what? If you're not perfect, your friend's not going to be perfect either. And so, you know, there's appropriate boundaries and I think y'all get that and y'all know that and there's sometimes God says this relationship's over. You understand that. But we need lots of patience with each other. We need lots of grace with each other. Because if you're impatient, you'll begin to speak against the very thing God wants to bless you with. You'll begin to speak against relationships in your life, leaders in your life, groups in your life, geographical locations. You'll begin to speak against things that God has designed to bless you because you're just grumbling. You're just complaining because you're letting the imperfect ruin the provision. The very thing God has given to bless you you deride and you just call it no good. And, and you'll see from the scripture today, we're even a little bit delusional about this. The Lord wants to remind you today to be patient. Be patient with your family. Be patient with your church. Be patient with your friends. Be patient with that young school teacher who's teaching your kids. Be patient with the little league coach. He's coaching six-year-olds, okay? He's not going to call the right play. He's trying to get them in the right direction. That's just a major miracle anyway, but we're just grumbling. That coach, I can't believe he didn't pass the ball. The kid can't even get the ball past three yards. Why would he pass it? These are the types of um, discontentment and this, this sense of impatience that causes us to grumble. You know, we don't have patience with young leaders. We don't have patience with old leaders. We don't have patience with the school. We don't have patience with the government. We don't have patience with anything. And because of that, we begin to exclude the very things God wants to bless us with. We have a painter that we hire here at the church. A lot of his name's James. He's a good Christian man. And he, him and his crew actually painted the inside of the sanctuary earlier this year, did a really nice job. Uh, that particular week, I asked him if he could come. And if I could hire him personally with my own money for, uh, to paint some rooms in our house that have not been paint, painted in quite a while. Well, he finished here earlier. And so it was one particular day. He said, Aaron, my crew's on the way to the house this morning. And we were not prepared because we thought it would be the next week. Beth had some appointments that she could not uh, change around. And I had the flexibility. And so it was like at the last minute, get these rooms ready for the painter. And these were rooms that had not been touched by a paintbrush in like a decade, okay? They're the rooms, like when company comes over, we shut the doors and no one goes into these rooms. And they were my kids' rooms. And so they're coming here <laughs> as part of the story. And so me and James, we're starting to shove the furniture into the middle of the room. And when we did that, now, I don't want to ruin your image of, of us as a family, but there were some corners of these rooms that they were like a time capsule. I mean, there was stuff that was stuck behind furniture that we hadn't seen in years. And, and it was dirty and just, it was kind of embarrassing. And I was embarrassed. And so I started kind of 
you know, grumbling is what I started doing. I started kind of, rah, 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 rah. I started saying, you know, my kids, they're great kids. They make good grades. They love the Lord, but they just don't know how to clean a room. I tell them over and over, clean your room. They don't listen to me. Rah, 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 rah. And I'm just grumbling, going like this. And so he's listening to me. And, and James just, just, just very kindly said, now, come on, Aaron. He said, listen, you didn't clean your room when you were a teenager and I didn't clean my room when I was a teenager. Saying something to him about this is not going to do any good. It's no big deal. This is just the way teenagers are. And it kind of put me at ease. It, it kind of relaxed me. And he helped me realize that in that situation, not that we don't need standards, but this was, we're talking about, we're talking about corners, like I said, where you couldn't get to unless you moved the furniture. And, and he just, he relaxed me. And, you know, we have to help each other sometimes with that. We have to help each other be patient. When we, when we just get all worked up, sometimes it's good to just, just talk sense into one another. Just, just calm each other down a little bit. And, and in that particular instant, it's helped me. But I've had lots of friends help me. And, and I hope I've helped people. I hope this sermon is helping you too. Because the more patient we can be, the more that we can be in step with God's plan for the now. One of the things that happens in life is that our words really create activity in our life. And I want to be clear. Let me give you my disclaimer. I have to give disclaimers all the time. I don't believe in the new thought, humanistic. You know, you can say your future and whatever you say, you, you, you make your future happen. I, I believe in a God-centered, hey, I'm going to submit to God's word and declare his word. But I do know this is that there is a power when we say something out loud, it really affects us. For example, I'll give you an example right now. I sure would enjoy some ice cream today. Now, by saying that right now, I guarantee you, sometime today I'm going to buy some ice cream, and I bet you will too. Because wouldn't ice cream be good? It'd be tasty, it'd be good. I mean, that ice cream might as well be in my mouth right now because I'm going to have that. For your house, if you say one day, you know, I'm tired of this house. I really don't like this house anyway. You might as well walk outside, put the for sale sign in your yard, come back in and start packing boxes. Because once you say it out loud, typically, most of the time, it creates momentum in our life. It creates activity in our life. Therefore, if you say, maybe I should not have married him or I should not have married her, they're not the right person for me. You're on your way to divorce court. You have to be careful what you say out loud and how you say it because there are a certain power that are in our words. I hope you understand the balance in that. This is why, here's the second point, grumbling leads to sin. Grumbling leads to sin. That's why you have to be so, you know, we have to look at the words that we say and see how Jesus himself said they're so connected to our hearts. Numbers chapter 21, verse 5 through 6. The people spoke against, Moses, against God and Moses. So they're speaking against their God and their leaders. Why have you led us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now here's the delusional part when, when we move into the spiritual impatience. There's no bread or water. You know, that really wasn't true. We, we, we tend to, when we get into this impatient mindset, we tend to over-exaggerate the situation we're in. God had provided water over and over and over again. God had provided manna daily. But they go ahead and talk about that provision. 
we detest this wretched food. We detest this. How many things has God provided for us that we just speak ill against? We detest. So then we go to a difficult part of the passage. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. And they bit them so that many Israelites died. Grumbling and complaining was the entry point for attack of the enemy. It was the entry point for destruction to come into the encampment, into the nation. Grumbling and complaining and, and specifically by calling what God said is good and calling it bad, opened the doors. Opened the doors for a flood of negative negative circumstances. No, a lot of times our complaining comes from fear. And because we're fear, we complain with anger. Dr. David Wally is one of my mentors, and he was, group, he was meeting with a group of us this week, and he, he brought up a great point about fear. We all experience fear, and fear doesn't feel very good, does it? No one likes to feel fear. So do you know what we do to compensate for fear? We use the emotion of anger. Because anger actually feels much better than fear because it feels powerful. And it feel, we feel more powerful when we're angry. But anger brings about sin. Unless it's righteous anger, which I think it's rare that that's the case. It's possible, but if we're like really in Jesus, but most of the time it's not. Anger causes us to sin. It is a doorway to sin. And so it is, though, you know, that's one of the issues that we do. We, we live in a really angry society right now. And I think that that anger comes from our fears. Our fear causes us to lash out. Our, our fear causes us to anger. So I say, watch your complaining. Watch your groaning. Because it could be the doorway to anger and to more sin in your life. And here's the, the part that is most concerning. Things were actually going pretty well in the big picture for God's people. They had conquered some of their enemies. They had just conquered some of the Canaanites. And we know from the passage they would conquer more. They had received this unbelievable provision. Yet right in the middle of success, they grumbled and they complained. And I found that to be true in my life. And I found it to be true in the life of groups that I've been part of. Is that often complaining has happened in my life when perspective later on has showed me, hey, I was in a pretty good situation. I don't know what I was complaining about. I don't know why I was grumbling. Uh, yeah, things weren't perfect. Things weren't ideal. But God had really blessed me. God had really blessed me through that circumstance. God had blessed me through that. I found that through working with churches that it's when churches start to make progress and things, good things start happening that people start getting agitated. People start getting restless. There, there's a psychology behind that. Um, I don't like to use that word psychology when I preach, but there's a mindset behind that is that change, again, agitates people, makes them scared of the future. And so that fear causes an uneasiness and, and even, even an impatience. And so I just, I just want to caution you just in your personal life that when you're in a situation where you're, 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 you're wanting to complain a lot, you're, you're grumbling a lot, it could be deception of the enemy and you may not see the greatness that you're right in the middle of. So the bad news is, here we are, okay, 
We all get impatient. I've been impatient. You've been impatient. Impatience leads to grumbling. Grumbling leads to sin. That's always the bad news. But listen, we're a gospel church. And the gospel means good news. So we're always headed towards good news. And, and this, is the, this is the revelation we need. You know, we will never see the need for a savior if we don't see the sin in our life. There's never a need for Jesus until you see your own sinfulness. And here's the last point I want to make today. Sin leads to Christ. Sin leads to Christ. We wrongly believe that if we sin, that, well, if we sin, that there's separation from Christ. And yes, there is separation in the sense that he is holy and we're not. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, sin doesn't lead us away from Christ. It leads us to Christ. Now let's go back to this very curious story we have today. Numbers chapter 21, and now we'll go back to the narrative in verse 7. Then the people came to Moses. We're going to go back to this whole issue with snakes, this odd, odd story. And said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make us, notice the Lord said this. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake, mounted it on a pole whenever someone was bitten. And he looked at that bronze snake, he recovered. I don't know about you, but when I read the scripture, a lot of questions come up. Like, what in the world is going on here? I go through a system of, of scriptures where I try to preach a whole group of scriptures, the full council of scriptures in a three-year three period. And sometimes I get to parts of scriptures like this. I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't really understand this. Like, what does this mean? And so I have the same emotions, but I, I, I know the Lord wants to show you as he's shown me what's, what's happening here. Now, snakes in Jewish oral tradition, which is now the Torah that we have, we know that the snake was that which deceived Adam and Eve. And so Jewish people looked with, with good suspicion upon snakes. But the rest of the Middle East used to see snakes in the pre-scientific period, uh, would see snakes as, um, as, as something that could heal. The reason why is because snakes would shed their skin. And so the thought was there was a regenerative quality about snakes. For those of you who have studied medicine, you'll know that the medicinal symbol coming from Greek mythology is a pole with a snake on it, which is, which is really interesting because we don't really think of, of that being that which would bring healing. But the roots of that goes to this mindset, this mindset that, that the, the, the snake can heal, the snake can make us, make us better. But the problem was the Jewish people, Jewish people did not see the snake this way. They're getting attacked by venomous snakes and they're dying because of it. What does God tell Moses to do? God told Moses, I want you to make a bronze snake. This bronze snake, the bronze is a symbol of judgment. And I want you to make this snake and I want you to put the snake up. Now here's the irony. The very thing, snakes, which were inflicting the judgment, inflicting the pain, when the snake was lifted on the pole, became the very thing that the people looked to for healing. They, they had to look to that which repulsed them. They had to look to that which turned them off. They had to look to that which, which God had taken 
and God had supernaturally used something that they would not have seen as a, as a point of blessing. He, he used a custom even of the other peoples, the people outside of God's family, and he used that custom to bring his healing. So what exactly was happening there? We don't fully understand it until Jesus had a conversation one night with a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus was trying to explain that he was not just another man. He was not another prophet. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God, which was also referred to as the Son of Man. And John chapter 3, I want you to see the scripture here. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says these words. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now look at this scripture. This is referring right back to Numbers 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man or the Messiah must be lifted up. Now think about this. Let's look at verse 14 again. Just as Moses lifted up this repulsive snake and that which caused the affliction became that which healed. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Can I remind you of something? That to the Jewish people in the days of Jesus, that which was most repulsive to them was death on the cross. It was for the worst of criminals. It was for the lowest caste. It was the lowest of persons that would be crucified on the cross. And Jesus, predicting his death, said just as the snake was lifted up by Moses, so the Messiah will be lifted up. And he gives more insight to this in verse 15. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And now we see the scripture that we've, our Awana kids have memorized. And most, a lot of us, if you've been around Christian them for any time, you'll know the scripture. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse, six, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world that he, may, he might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Here it was that the cross, that which repulsed people, that which was foolishness, that which is, doesn't even make sense, was a very thing lifted up for us to be saved. This message of the cross, this message of Jesus, sometimes uh, it can be made fun of. It can, be, it can be belittled. The scripture even tells us the foolishness of the gospel, the foolishness of the cross. God's made it wisdom to us. But when it's lifted up, when it's lifted up, it's the only thing that we can look to by which we can be saved. That's why I love 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 21. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's, here's the amazing thing. The very thing that caused pain ended up being that which brought healing. And Jesus became, sin was the very thing that afflicted us. Jesus became sin for us because we have to look to him because only he can change our hearts. Only he can cleanse us. Only he can make us clean. Jesus became sin. He became the injustice that we see. Jesus became the unrighteousness. Jesus became the evil. He voluntarily chose to become 
the sexual immorality that we've committed. Jesus voluntarily took upon him the violent acts that humanity has perpetuated against one another. Jesus took this all upon himself and he became the very thing that afflicts us, the very thing that causes us to become less of the sons and daughters of God. Jesus became that very thing so that when we look to him, we will be healed. When we look to him, we will be free. We look to him, we will be changed. And that's who he is. I want us in an attitude of prayer to stand together. All over this, all over this place, if you're able to stand, let's stand together. Right now, I'm going to just quickly, I'm not going to beleaguer the points. I'm just going to ask really quick if there's anyone in here that needs to be saved this morning. Is there anyone in here who you don't know whether your destiny is in heaven? I mean, God, God, wants to, God wants to give you that chance right now. God wants to give you that opportunity. He wants to know if there's anyone in here. And I'm going to give you a chance right now. So I'm going to ask quickly. I'm not going to make this a long appeal at all. If you're sitting in that far left section and, and you're not sure you're Christian, you're not sure you're saved, you have not looked to the cross for salvation, would you raise your hand in that far left section? Thank you. Put down anyone else that far left section. The, the left, your left, your left center section, anyone in there says, I need to know that I'm saved today, raise your hand right now. Anyone in the right center section, if you need to know that you need to be saved today, I want you to raise your hand right now. Anyone in the far right section, if you know you need to be saved today, would you raise your hand? Anyone in that far right section? Anyone in that far right section? No no one's raised their hand today. I I did mention one person, but no one has raised their hand today that I don't believe is a Christian in some manner. So I'm going to assume, now I'm going to speak to you as believers. I'm going to make this assumption now that if you're not a Christian, that you're just your heart's not ready. And, and I want you to keep coming until your heart's ready. But if you are a believer here today, this is what I want to speak to you today. I hope this scripture from Numbers 21, accompanied by John chapter 3, will remind you not to take Jesus for granted, not to take the gospel for granted, not to take for the, gro- the cross for granted, not, not to live as such that this message has no impact on your life, has no influence on your life. And that the Lord, the Lord wants you today. The, the, the Lord wants you today, this very day, uh, to turn your heart back to Him. We just have a few minutes scheduled left together. And I, I, I want to give you just a few minutes so you can spend time with God today. Here's the reason why. In probably six, seven minutes, I'm going to give a benediction and we'll all scurry out. We'll, those of us with kids will pick up our kids and we'll go to our cars and we'll go about our day. And, and there's a blessing in that, is there not? There's a blessing to do that. Um, so we, we want to create this moment for you to center on Jesus. Listen, that's the greatest gift that I could give you is to center you back on Jesus, center you on the gospel message, center you on who God is so that when you do go out and, and you go out and you live your life, that there, there'll be that sense of stability to who God is.